0: Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sounds and the Consequence Podcast Network would like to say hi to everyone who subscribes to the series. Always appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. Thank you for the comments that you leave in the various places. Of course, if you're not a subscriber, uh, may I entice you with three brand new interviews a week. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we throw out new interviews. It's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover new ones and know what's happening in the music world. You can find us at any of the major spots like iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast from. Just type in Kyle Meredith with subscribe. We'll take care of the rest from there. I'm Kyle Meredith. and today I'm going to be talking with the Indigo Girls. They have got a brand new record called Look Long, which is really fantastic. Emily and Amy talk about uh, especially wanting to find new sonic territory on this record. Uh, I think at one point they even reference a song that's B 52s meets Burt Bacharach. And one cool thing about this album is it's sort of a reunion. Their uh, end of the 90s record, Come On Now Social, uses the entire same lineup, including uh, the producer who's back on board. So we're going to talk about that and and how that happened and why there's such a strong sense of looking back on this record. They're drawing a lot from their pasts. And there's a good reason for that as well. And there's even a really interesting point to it because it's not anything that they talked about beforehand. So we'll hear about having like simultaneous ideas where that comes from, which may not be surprising when you've been a group for, you know, over 30 years. But what is surprising after 30 years is there's still a fire burning inside them, uh, not just to tell stories, but to find that new sonic territory and on the activism side to keep pushing forward on big ideas, big concepts that maybe people need to hear. You know, here we are in the 2020 pandemic, and if there's anything good that may have come out of this, it's that the world is finally breathing again. The earth has got a moment to kind of put all of us, you know, on check for us to relax so so the air can get better and the water can get cleaner. It's an opportunity for the environment, and that's something that's on their mind as well. So let's jump into it. Uh, I love this interview. It's Kyle Meredith with the Indigo Girls.
3: Hey, how are you, Kyle?
0: First off, Look Long is such a great record. I've enjoyed listening to this so much and what you all do. I mean, the fact that, you know, that any artist can can kind of work at this kind of level, you know, decades into their career is always impressive. And, and you all do it every single time. So, so first off, thank you for the music <laughs> that you all have been putting out for all these years and especially for this new record right here, too. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. There was a line that really stood out in the press release, and it started to prove itself pretty quickly when I started listening to the record as well, and that was the importance of not putting boundaries on what an Indigo girl song should be. And and I wondered exactly what that meant for you all. Like, had that been something that you had to push against in, in the past? Had, had you hit a wall to where it's, you know, the, that... You didn't, what, well, exactly what did that mean for you all, you know, n, you know, having a song that, that broke those boundaries?
1: I mean, I think no one's ever, like, dictated to us, this is what you need to do, you know, to be the Indigo Girls. But I think, you know, we ourselves get into patterns, and, you know, when you go on in to make a record, it's easy to kind of fall into, like, this is kind of the way we've done things in the past, and let's do this, and let's do that, this is what we know, kind of the comfort zone, I guess, is the best way to put it and we just um i don't think it's something that like the world forced on us but we all fall into that i think you know when you're trying to do something new you just get afraid you know (laughs) and like you want to go into the things that you know but we didn't want you know we really the purpose of this record was to work with people that we know are super like experimental and engaged and always see music in this way that's really exciting And we didn't want to put any kind of dampers on that, you know, by having our own preconceived notions of what this should be and what kind of record it should be and, you know, what these songs demand and all that. So it was as much as, like, let's not just make, you know, what people expect an Indigo Girl record to be or something. It was more like, um, let's make sure that we're really open to all the things that these musicians have to offer and this producer can do and not, like, put boundaries around it or have, like, either one of us put, like, kind of this this is the way I see an Indigo Girl song should be, you know, kind of expectation on it. And it was, uh, it's just kind of a good, for us, it's kind of a good way to go into, you know, a situation with musicians that you want to just do their own thing. You don't want them to be having to, like, bow to any specific parameters.
0: I think songs on here that show really good examples of that, like Howl at the Moon and Favorite Flavor come to mind, you know, as these... Uh, I I don't know if I'd call non-traditional songs for you all but they they definitely seem like like you might approach those differently than you would other songs. W- was that the case? Uh, I guess for those two specifically?
1: I mean <laughs> it's probably the case with every song on the record is that John Reynolds the producer um we you know we hadn't really talked to him that much about what he was thinking about like right before we went in we sort of were wondering what he was doing actually and we were like what's this, what's he going <laughs> to What's going to happen when we get there? But he already had come up with all these like beat sort of frameworks almost like of beats and rhythms and how at the moon was one that he had done that with. And, you know, I just I didn't write that song thinking this is going to have a different treatment or anything. I mean, honestly, it felt like a more acoustic standard kind of uh, almost like folk song in some way. I did. So when he came when he had this rhythm structure, I was really like excited about it because it turned it on its head, and on Favorite Flavor, I, that song was meant to be uh, definitely, like, off, like, off-center, and I just kind of explained what I was thinking about with that song, and that was one song that John didn't have, like, a, a necessarily a definite framework for, but the keyboard player, Carol, chewed into what I, like, references that I made, you know, I was like, you know, B-52s, kind of mixed with Burt Bacharach, like, that kind of vibe, and... (laughs) that's they knew exactly what i was talking about (laughs) and went right there you know so it's fun you know to do things like that and i think john we especially love working with him and the band because he will really not just do like something that's like that's the first thing that you think of you know for a song it's going to be something that he dug deep for and was really thinking about the musicians and all that so as a producer he's very freeing in that way.
0: You know, with, with, with John intact, too, I mean, th- this is the come-on-now social lineup complete, right?
3: <laughs> Pretty much, except for uh, Lyra Sung plays with us now. She's a genius violinist. And, she, and so we, we had her, and she added so much to the album we can't even describe it.
1: Yeah, but yeah, and the, the, the band, yeah, Justin Adams playing guitar, and Carolyn Dale putting some cello in there, and Carol Isaacs on keys, and Claire Kenny on bass, and John Playing drums and producing, and Tim Oliver doing the engineering. That was that was the Come On Now social crowd, and um, and, and that record also had um, you know another element in it, which was this whole other group of people that were in Woodstock, um, New York, kind of that vibe, like half, like I guess like four of the tracks or something. So it was like a overall thing. But then John came and put, and him and Tim kind of put their imprint on that stuff as well, and added their vibe to that those recordings so it was kind of a weird mixture but um, but yeah it's a, like a reunion basically of that band and we met that band when they were backing up Sinead O'Connor um, on the Lilith Fair tour back in I think 98 or 99 98 I think we, was when we met them
0: I guess one of the old tropes is write what you know, and, and I get, you know, and, and it's, so it's not surprising when a lot of artists kind of use their past, uh, you know, as reflection for songs that they're writing now, but there does seem to be a lot of looking back on this record. And, and I didn't know if that was purposeful, if you all kind of noticed that was happening in the moment. And, and if so, was there a certain age or era that you pulled hardest from and for whatever reason?
3: That's a great question. There is a lot of looking back. I mean, for me, uh the song my song Sorrow and Joy, it's written a lot about my little sister's death. And there are parts of that experience. There's a verse about when Reagan was shot in that song and that's a very vivid memory for me and it was way too painful for me with regards to my sister to ever write about it. And so that's looking back. But for me, it was also like, oh, I can finally write about this because I was never able to oh, kind of didn't even want to because I knew I wasn't able to. But then obviously it stayed with me. And then like um, when we were writers, I draw a lot from my two years at Tulane University. I just can't seem to get all that out of my system. It was a very important time for me in many, many ways, developmentally and what I was exposed to in life and burgeoning sexuality and all that stuff. Um, and then, you know, just in terms of like the the title track, Look Long, I wrote that about perspective, long-term perspective versus versus short-term perspective. So I looked back on some of the examples in my past in order to write that song and Man, you're right. I mean, every single song on that album is like (laughs) looking back on me. And then even one that's written in the present, like um, Never Feel This Way Again, that was written about like for the high school kids to just really enjoy their time because I spent this moment or moments when I was writing the songs getting really nostalgic for some high school times and how painful it was and complex and wonderful and exciting and all this stuff. And, And so I wrote that song to tell people who are going through that Oh, one day you're going to be like me and you'll be older and nostalgic so just enjoy it so even as I'm trying to stay in the present and tell the kids I'm looking back so you're exactly right there is a lot of looking back I think sometimes nostalgia for me can be a comforting thing and everything has felt so sort of uneasy and upsetting and stuff like that that's going on in the country and the world so but that's a good one you pegged me at least (laughs) (laughs)
1: And, you know, we we write separately, so we don't check in with each other on, like, what are you writing about? And it just, but a lot of times, because we're living the same experiences on the road, you know, and we have similar, we're only a year apart, and we grew up together since we were, like, 10, and, and our families kind of go through similar milestones. And so we, a lot of times when we come together for a record to learn songs, we realize we're kind of digging into some similar ground um, as each other and I, I guess you know th- have for me having a child now it's so funny because I'll find myself you know just going back to that to growing up because I'm thinking about what she's seeing through her eyes and a lot of times she'll we have this tradition in our family where now where it's like tell me a story and so like each each of us will tell a story you know it'll be from my past or she'll tell tell a story from her past which could be one year ago <laughs> you know um, cause he's six, which made me kind of start thinking about like that. And I think uh, I always draw on that period of time between like age 10 and 17, you know, it's like a weird, great formative time. And sometimes it, it's painful to look back, not cause it was a painful time, but because I wish I could do it again. Like I enjoy, I really like life. I love life so much and I get achy when I think about all the time that's gone by and not being able to go back and be that kid that's riding a dirt bike you know, <laughs> and, uh, in the woods, you know what I mean? And I'm always just wanting to be back there, you know? I mean, I'm in the moment most of the time, but that's my one weakness is this period of time when things were so free as a kid, you know, and just, I mean, it, the world was just limitless for me, you know, and in my brain and my heart, you know, and I I feel that way a lot of the time now, but not as much as I did when I was a kid. So I think I end up looking back into those moments and and talking about that or else talking about looking back you know (laughs) which is what we do when we get older you know it's just like a we're the archetypal epitome of ourselves
0: (laughs) well those coming of age years i mean they 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 make us who we are so so much just in that little portion of time You know, the the song When We Were Writers was brought up a few minutes ago, too, and I I think that does have one of my favorite lines on the record, which, if I was a smart man, I would have written down verbatim, and I didn't, but, maybe you see smoke in my eyes, but I'm still burning inside, and I think that's a Mm -hmm. really, really poignant line there, because, you you know, we were talking about at the beginning of the record, too, you you know, one of you mentioned uh, that, uh, you know, it it can be easy to go through the motions, and, and I, you know, To be a group that's not only known for writing great songs, but especially on the activism and and political side, you know, I I think we as fans, we do come to expect certain things from you and from other artists uh, similar. And, you know, to still have that fire, it's not going to be uh, obvious, I guess, that that someone's always going to have that. And does the well that you're gathering that from have to change? Do you have to try extra hard or does that still come natural?
3: these are excellent questions. <laughs> um, well, I was thinking, as even as you were asking that question, and you were, I was listening to it, I was thinking about how Amy and I have really separate lives. And like Amy said, we write our songs separate from each other. We don't burn ourselves out on the road. Like, we tour in very humane schedule. I mean, relatively speaking, like, the homesickness is, like, really, really terrible. But we was a pretty humane way of having to tour and be away from home and traveling. And we love playing live shows. And so I was just thinking that there, we've created a lot of space for ourselves to try to balance life. And in that sense, because I'm a person that when I get burned out, I'm not creative. I I could barely function as a human being. I don't have huge reserve to do a lot of things at the same time. And it's just the way I am. So I think that the way that Amy and I have have learned the balance in our careers and our lives and our personal relationship has allowed for there always to be this a want to create and, and to work together. And I think just having it be sort of a civil way of operating things allows me at least to always have enough reserve to want to dig deep into the well that allows me to create. And so I'm really grateful for that. And I think that, For me, like I, I work out questions in life, in my life, and I observe things, observe things through my songwriting. And that's kind of like how I wrestle with things and think about things. And so as long as I continue to wrestle or observe life, I think there's always going to be a well from which I can draw to write songs and then just, you know, being able to work with Amy and always being excited. Like when we went to make this album, I was so excited to make this album and with these people and in this place and just like, Oh my gosh, we are so lucky that we get to go to England and be with these old friends and that we can make an album like this. So I just feel really fortunate. I feel like we've worked out a good balance and there's just a lot of stuff to still dig into in life. You know, it's ongoing issues relationships, things to think about, things to try to change, try to be part of, ways to learn. It just all goes into the songwriting.
1: Yeah, I think if you're living your life, you know, and engaged, it's like the well gets deeper and deeper and deeper to draw from. And there's more, I mean, for me, I always think, like, I have more energy inside me for enthusiasm, but also for, like, wanting to, like, change, make change in the world or, or things that make me angry, you know, like I, that has not been the least bit diluted by living longer. It, it's gotten, in fact, there's so much that I have a hard time getting it all in. You know, I just, there's so many things, you know, constantly in my head and things that I'm, I feel ur- uh, a sense of urgency about or you know, really just want to work on or change or, you know, with the world, like, you know, in an activism way, you know, it's just like you, if you're living your life and you're really aware, you're never going to get bored, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, or it's never going to be the same all, same all, you know, because there's just, unfortunately, there's an, an endless list of things that we need to fix in the world and work on, which can be a defeating thing, but it can also be a thing where you're like, there's no lack of you know of uh, energy at all, and and um it's as you get older, I think it gets even deeper and and more relevant somehow.
0: Well, I know, dear, and uh, for me, one thing about this you know pandemic, and and of course, I don't want to make light out of out of what's been happening out there, but but I know the environmental side of things has been maybe the only positive thing that's come out of this, and right. and I kept thinking like the opportunity that we have the opportunity that the entire world has to, to to try to reset as much as possible to go into this in, in a more possible way. Like, we've never had the chance that we have now. Uh, I know both of you are environmentalists, too. And do you see any kind of push for that kind of trajectory? Is, is, is that in the conversation right now in any of your circles?
1: It's not. I mean, in our circles it is, but it's probably not enough. It's hard for people to go to that place of, like, this is the great reset button, and we can do things right you know look look you know can we drive less anyway can we use less resources anyway can we buy less clothing anyway can we not waste food like we used to because you know now you eat everything on your plate because you don't want to go to the grocery store every two days you know and I think I don't know if I think all that's so important but I'm not sure I think that people are so we're so anxious and to get back to work and to like get the economy going again as a country, I mean, that, and as a world probably, that it's hard to maintain this focus on like, yeah, but we should keep this in mind. You know, like there's a chance to, like you said, you know, look at this as an opportunity to do things the right way and kind of reset and and use this innovation that we are coming, all these innovative things that we can come up with during this time. A lot of that can be applied to what happens from this point on you know and we just need to you know i definitely think it's a conversation that needs to be in the mainstream for sure and we need to be thinking that way i hope people will i mean i know that people have been excited to see like the baby sea turtles walking on the beach because there's not anybody on the beach you know things like that so i hope that that is a conversation that gets into the mainstream beyond like um isn't it great that there's all these uh bird singing or something that's like kind of a mainstream news story but something deeper than that which is well, i mean that's deep but deeper you know what i mean like here's our opportunity i'm not sure i, I should, Emily. you can talk about that
3: well i just i mean i agree with everything you said i i've become a little jaded about human nature and i fear that once the economy kicks back in and the old machinery that we human beings tend to have short term memories, you know, and I just it remains to be seen because, you know, a lot of people are starting to just go crazy, obviously, in their quarantines. You can see this by virtue of the fact that people believe that the virus is no longer a threat and they go out in public and it's like, oh, my God, like reality. There's just there is no reality about that. But also, I think it's very frustrating for me. It's such a perfect time to really talk about investing and building the infrastructure of a green new deal, so to speak, and to just have this administration, Trump's administration, bailing out the oil industry and just looking to those to that like entrenched capitalist power in fossil fuels is so so. Well, it's devastating, really, when I think about. So we need a change of administration. We need uh, the political shift across the nation locally as well as federally and and stuff like that and then i just think i don't know with human beings we're a tough nut to crack
0: i certainly do appreciate you know what you all do as far as that conversation and and so many of your conversations and i I, i'll pull that back around to the album as i close up here because because look long has a lot of important moments on it too um you know, from from country radio, and I know we get to talk about that one, but but just the, you know the things that you all have sing about through your entire careers, uh, it's meant a lot to a lot of people, and it does make a difference. And so I thank you both again for continuing to make that music and to continuing to have that fire uh, inside.
3: Thank you, well, Kyle. Thanks, thanks for the thoughtful questions. Just outstanding.
0: Like Thanks yeah, a lot for that. It, yeah, it was all, all, uh, definitely an honor to talk to you both. And Amy and Emily, thank you so much for taking the time today. And uh, and we'll see you around uh, whenever that happens for everyone.
3: Cool. Okay, thanks thanks a lot. All right. Bye. bye. Bye-bye.
0: My thanks, the Indigo Girls. The brand new record is called Look Long, Absolutely Do check it out. And thanks to you for taking the time to uh, to check out this uh, this episode as well. Before you get out of here, if you're not a subscriber, I do hope you hit that subscribe button so you can keep up with the, uh, the new interviews that we put out. A new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can find us again at Spotify, at YouTube, at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts from. Just type in Kyle Meredith with and subscribe. We'll take it from there. After that, Head to wfpk.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, that's wfpk.org. Consequenceofsound.net, they've got your music and film news. You can find me on just about any social media platform, at Kyle Meredith. Do hope you follow and like. Keep up with this uh, over there as well. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network.
2: I'm Leo Phillips, host of This Must Be the Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.